Adventure photographers and filmmakers give us a unique view of the world. And throughout his long career, taking pictures and telling stories for major magazines, Peter McBride has offered up an exciting perspective, most often from the air. When he was in his 20s, he flew a World War I biplane called the Vickers Vemi from London to Cape Town to reenact the first time an airplane traveled across Africa in 1920. And I think that gave me a real interest in aerial perspective. I was able to sell it to National Geographic with some good luck, and that led me into kind of a decade of doing work for Geographic and other magazines. Through his camera, McBride has shown us images most of us can only dream of. Having chosen a profession suited to his own nature, he admits that his work fulfills a selfish desire. I guess I became a photographer more because I had an interest in seeing the world, to be honest. I love photography, but I love adventures. I love exploring and going into the unknown. McBride's work in photography gives us an eye-opening look at the planet. He gives his viewers and readers the opportunity to see the place they call home in a different way. From the high mountains of the Himalayas to the jungles of the Amazon, McBride has made it possible for people to see how they and others interact with their environment and to observe their role in the natural order of things. But it's in his most recent body of work that McBride turns his lens back toward the place where he grew up. Flying high above the Rocky Mountains to the Sea of Cortez, he's been following the course of the great North American river, the Colorado. Lend my hand to seven states, two countries, nine national parks, and 36 million people across an arid west. I am not the strongest or the largest, but I am the hardest working. In a series of photo essays and feature films, McBride now tells the story of the river that provides food and water for more than 10% of the U.S. population. The hardest working river in the world, the Colorado has flowed for more than 6 million years, but in the span of just a few decades, its precious resource has been tapped to the breaking point. I am tired. I am tired. Tapped. And tied. Of the hundreds of major rivers in the world, I am one of the few who no longer kisses the sea. Battles to harness my soul have been won and lost. Use me wisely and I will sustain you. Use me like you have and I will break. My name, My name is, is Red. Red, the Grand River Red, the American Nile, the Canyon Maker. I am the Colorado River, and I am the most endangered river in America.
Returning to his home in Colorado, Peter McBride is raising awareness for the importance of conserving water in the West. Through his films and still photographs, he illustrates the plight of the Colorado and demonstrates the impact of overdevelopment and the abuse of our most precious natural resource. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. I've always had an interest in conservation, probably through my father a little bit, probably because I grew up in Colorado in a ski town and I saw things change a lot. So I realized that uh, it's nice to come back and see things that haven't. I'm not against progress, but I believe in some things, you know, maybe we shouldn't touch. And so I've always actually majored in environmental studies and conservation in college. I always wanted to get back into it and it's been nice because my cameras have now brought me back into it to a degree. So I think it's fair to suggest that you have been involved in different types of photo capturing all over the world. Specifically, what is it that made you come back to the United States and, and put so much effort into telling the story of the Colorado River? I think I came home. I still travel a lot for work today, but I came home in part because I was a little burned out, to be honest. I I was telling someone just last night that I, I wanted to try to do something that had a little more impact than just a magazine article that somebody reads going to the bathroom or something, you know. And that's not entirely fair. Magazine stories can change things for sure. But I guess I wanted to just sink my teeth into something that was bigger, maybe bigger than me. And I didn't really have a huge master plan. This sort of evolved as it happened, and it still is. But I came home and I wanted to do something just around home and not travel much. I was traveling all the time and decided to hunker down and I um, came back to the valley I grew up in and my father's a pilot and uh, we started talking about maybe looking at doing some aerial work and uh, that led into a Colorado River project that is technically took me two years but I'm still doing tributaries, I'm still photographing it, I'm still talking about it. It's an issue that is definitely not going away and it's only getting more and more severe. Well, can you tell me about what you discovered taking pictures of the Colorado River literally from its source to what had been its course to the sea? Well, the, the most alarming thing to me was just to see how developed that river is. I went into this project as a Colorado native who's used Colorado River water my entire life. I grew up on a cattle ranch. We basically have a small herd that we do out of not we don't even make any money we just do it to keep open space but we use water and I grew up swimming and fishing and boating in the river and but didn't know much about the river downstream and what amazed me is to see the infrastructure around it is remarkable on many levels Lake Powell I knew as a boy but Hoover Dam is beyond my comprehension the enormity of that colossal structure and then downstream to see the Central Arizona project that takes water 336 miles across the Sonoran Desert to Phoenix and Tucson and see another pipe, Colorado Water Aqueduct going to 
Los Angeles, 224 miles across the desert. And the networks of dams below it, Parker Dam, Davis Dam, Morelos Dam, it's pretty remarkable, the amount of engineering. And then below that, to see this river actually dry up. And I just never envisioned that that could be the case. And there's been some mistakes that led to this, human error and judgment on how much the river actually has on an average flow. And there's been some over-allocation and over-consumption. And we have a little bit of a, you know, water habit in certain areas, to say the least. There were some honest mistakes, though, that you can't entirely blame people. They didn't have the information we have now. And now we got this wild card of climate change where all, everybody's saying projections are heading towards a drier Colorado River Basin. We're going to lose 5 to 10%, they're saying. Wow. But the biggest alarm for me was just seeing that infrastructure and then below it seeing what I'd read was this amazing estuary, the largest estuary in North America, denuded to nothing. It was just cracked earth and desert and, a, you know, a frothy frappuccino pit, as I call it, at the end, which is where the river kind of petered out into this muck, 100 miles shy of the Sea of Cortez. And then to learn that the river, you know, six million years it ran to the Sea of Cortez, and it hasn't, not a drop of it, not a single drop has reached the sea since 1998. I think what I find fascinating about this is that you describe in the narrative of your film the Colorado River is the hardest working river. And based on what you just described, I mean, it sounds to me like we had already tapped its its resources to, to a pretty high degree. Now, you mentioned adding the wild card of climate change. Is it at that point where human interaction has really put a big strain on the Colorado River? And if that is indeed the case, what can we do to fix that? Well, I think climate change is starting to play out because we're in now our second decade of drought, basically. So we're starting to feel that effect a little bit. We're not getting the replenished flows that we once had. But it's true, the river is actually, it didn't, it stopped reaching the sea in the 80s. But a spring flow would occasionally reach the sea. So, but now it's completely dry. Never kisses the sea. And on top of that, what's making it more, more alarming and more urgent is that the river stores four times of its annual flow in these reservoirs, mainly Lake Powell and, and Lake Mead. We've drawn those down to less than 50%. So we've taken half our bank account away already. And now everyone's realizing, oh, those bank accounts went away pretty quickly. So now everything is starting to become more prominent. So what can we do? Well, that's the, that's the million dollar question, really. Awareness, in my opinion, is one. Most people have no idea this is going on. They're totally oblivious. And then on the more practical side, we're going to have to figure out things like cost, pay structure. Water should be free or as cheap as we can make it so everyone, everyone needs it. But we pay more for our cell phones now, which nobody ever had 10 years ago, really. We pay more for our cable than we do water. And it's not water. It's the infrastructure that gets the water to us. And that's becoming more and more expensive. So we need to figure out ways to do that. We need to have more tiered structures. The less you use, the, the cheaper it is. The more you use, the more expensive, etc. Plenty of those programs out there. We need to figure out some smart agriculture. What's the best agriculture? Uh, should we grow cotton in the Colorado River Basin? Maybe not. And um, we need to figure out ways to regulate that that's smart. That's, you know, we should have 
cities and towns that are in closed loop systems, more recycling, basically the same water that dinosaurs drank. It's dinosaur pee, technically. So why should we be using two and a half gallons to flush our waste? Maybe there are better ways out there. So that would be some starts. The big giant gorilla in the room is population in the southwest and obviously the planet, but have we hit our carrying capacity is always a question I like to raise. So if we have not yet reached our carrying capacity moving forward into the future, is there perhaps a sense of optimism that can come from your work? I think it's, it's pretty tragic that, that the, the Colorado River ends 90 miles and more from the, the Sea of Cortez after having for millions of years flowed all the way to the sea. What can we look forward to? I mean, it, what, where is there a sense of optimism perhaps in the story? It's a great question. There, I think there's a lot, actually, James. I, um, for example, when I started, I didn't know squat about the river, to be honest. I've learned a lot. I've been surprised a lot. I've also been impressed by the number of people that have, have listened and, and learned through you know, my limited voice. And also there's a lot of other groups with bigger voices doing great work. I've had kids come up to me and say, hey, I convinced my mom to tear out her front yard. Uh, we don't have grass anymore. Um, people are waking up, and uh, there's a greater awareness. My radio, local radio station now has morning daily reports on the river flows. I never heard that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how the rivers have dropped or have they come up, and, and everyone's into it. So that's a start. There's a recent treaty signed with the U.S. and Mexican government, which is... Um, very progressive, very new. Um, they're going to bring some water back to the Delta. It's called Minute 319. That um, brings some hope for the river to connect, potentially. I don't think it's enough water, personally, but uh, it's a great start. And uh, everyone talks about the, the law of the river, the Colorado Compact, and how we're not changing it or can't change it. The reality is we're massaging it and adding elements to it continually. And there's been some positive agreements recently that I think there's... So I think there's great hope... It's just we're going to have to start doing things pretty quickly. You can learn more about Peter McBride and his work in conservation and adventure photography online. Visit PeteMcBride.com. For the Joy Trip Project, this is James Mills. Music this week from Jake Shimobakuro. This edition of the Joy Trip Project was made possible thanks to the generous support of the Conservation Alliance and the Outdoor Retailer Summer Market. You can support future episodes of this podcast through our new crowdsourcing website, patreon.com. For as little as a dollar a month, just 12 bucks a year, you can keep the Joy Trip Project on the road. To find out how, just visit patreon.com slash joytripproject. For now, go be joyful. And until next time, take care. <laughs>